Chapter Twenty One, Part Two of the Lady's Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness by Florence Hartley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christine Lamberton. Chapter Twenty One, Accomplishments, Part Two. A lady in society must, if she would not grow utterly weary in company know how to dance it has been the practice among many excellent people to represent the ballroom as a pitfall covered with flowers a sheet of breaking ice above all gaiety and motion below all darkness and danger it may be that to some minds the ballroom may be replete with temptations but there are minds which find temptations everywhere the innocent may be innocent nay the pious may feel devout even in a ballroom there is nothing immoral or wrong in dancing it is the tendency of youth to dance it is the first effort of a child the first natural recreation it seems so natural that i confess i am always doubtful of the sincerity of those young ladies who profess to dislike the ballroom in the present day you must understand how to move gracefully through quadrilles to dance poker scottish varsovienne and waltz to these you may add great variety of dances each season probably bringing a new one dancing says mr sheldrake is one of the most healthy as well as one of the most pleasing amusements that can be practised by the young if it is learnt from those who are well qualified to teach it and practised as it ought to be consistently with the instructions given it will contribute more to improve the health as well as the form of the human frame than any other exercise for the discovery and promulgation of the true and correct principles according to which dancing should be taught the world is indebted to france a country which has long taken the lead in the elegant arts in france dancing was first raised to the dignity of a science a royal academy being formed for the purpose of teaching and perfecting it in the reign of louis XIV. in this academy were trained many of the most distinguished dancers of both sexes one of the most celebrated madame simonet gave the following account to mr sheldrake of the mode of instruction pursued in the academy all the pupils before they were permitted to attempt to dance were completely instructed in what were called the preparatory exercises that is a system of exercises which endued all their limbs with strength firmness elasticity and activity when they had acquired these properties they began to dance in these preparatory exercises the motions were of the most simple kind the object being to teach the pupil 
gradually and separately all those movements which when combined and rapidly executed constitute dancing madame simonet thus described those elementary instructions as gone through by herself she successively learned to stand flat and firm upon both her feet with her limbs quite straight and the whole person perfectly upright but not stiff then to lift one foot from the ground and to keep it so for some time without moving any part of her body she then replaced that foot on the ground and raised the other in the same manner these simple actions were repeated till the pupils were quite familiar with them they were then directed to keep the body quite erect but not stiff and bearing firmly upon one leg to raise the other from the ground gradually and slowly by bending the upper joint of the limb at the same time making the knee straight and putting the toe to its proper extent but no more the foot after it had been kept in this state for some time was returned to the ground from whence it was taken and the other foot treated in the same manner when quite familiarized to these actions they were directed to walk march as some people will call it slowly performing the same motions with the feet alternately the exercises which followed these were upon the turning out of the feet the balancing of the body and other attitudes which need not be particularized mr sheldrake gives several examples of persons trained upon these initiatory principles to the profession of dancing who have lived in health to a great age this says he is not the chance lot of a few for i have through life been accustomed to see many persons of the same profession i have communicated my own observations to many others and all have agreed in remarking that those who follow this profession have very generally excellent health which very many of them carry into extreme old age this indisputable fact can only be accounted for by supposing that the preparatory exercises which these persons go through are a modification of what i have called regulated muscular tension or action and the early and constant practice of which lays a firm foundation for that high health which accompanies them through life it is upon the same principle that a soldier is never seen with spinal curvature or other personal deformity or a stage dancer of either sex with a deformed person it is perhaps impossible that such things should exist for the plain reason that the exercises which they begin to practice early in life and continue regularly through its whole course render it impossible for them to become so the inference to be drawn from these 
incontroveritable facts is that if we in very early life teach young children to practice similar exercises and follow them steadily afterwards we shall confirm them in excellent health and prevent the accession of those evils which so often cause deformity to the figure and destruction to the constitution at later periods of life i do not propose to make every boy a soldier or every girl a dancer upon the stage but to adopt the principles by the application of which those persons are trained to the successful practices of their several occupations and so to modify them that they may qualify other classes of society to follow their different pursuits with equal success and i am not without hopes that this undertaking will contribute something towards producing this desirable effect dancing is an exercise which has been practised by mankind from the most remote ages with the egyptians assyrians and persians the founders of the three great empires of the ancient world dancing was the favourite exercise or accomplishment and the practice was not less prevalent among their successors in power and importance the greeks and romans the jews also we learn from scripture were strongly attached to the exercise at all periods of their history at the present day almost every people that exist whether barbarous or civilized has its own form of dancing it is this universality of the exercise that makes dancing a subject of importance being so extensively practised it must be the instrument either of good or evil to the human race it is one of the most healthful and elegant amusements and cannot be too highly recommended among a rude and dissolute people it may degenerate into something worthy of condemnation but all the blessings we have are similarly liable to abuse and it would be most unjust to condemn a cheerful domestic amusement merely because it has at times been degraded by people of low vulgar immoral tastes by all physicians dancing when pursued in moderation is recommended as highly conducive to bodily health and it may be truly said that allied with music nothing is more conducive to mental health more calculated to drive away melancholy and put the whole temper into good humour dancing is the poetry of motion it must be performed with ease and grace and always with a perfect regard for propriety of movement as an art it is taught by professed masters and one of the leading rules given to the learner is to raise and lower herself gracefully on the elastic part of her feet and to keep perfect time to the music 
dancing is really a simple and elegant gliding on the toes which bend more or less to accommodate the steps and prevent harsh ungraceful motion the most popular dances of the present day are first the quadrille these are of french origin comparatively tranquil in their character and generally danced once or more in every party they are danced by four couples one standing on each side of a square there are many sets of quadrilles the figures in each varying from the others but there are five figures in each set the plain fancy lancers polka mazurka and german are among the most popular in plain quadrilles a lady takes no steps merely walking gracefully through the figures but her feet must keep perfect time to the music and she must know the changes of position perfectly a quadrille may be very properly described as a conversation dance as there are long pauses between the figures when the dancers must have a fund of small talk ready for their partners when moving in the figures hold out your skirt a little with the right hand merely to clear the ground and prevent the possibility of treading upon it next come the round dances the vaults polka scottish varsovienne and redoa the waltz is danced both a trois temps and deux temps in the waltz the position is a most important point you may so lean upon your partner's arm and so carry your figure that the prudish can find but little fault but you can also make the dance a most immodest one i cannot within the limits of my book go into a long argument as to the propriety of these round dances opinions differ and i am not writing a sermon but giving as far as is in my power hints to ladies in society it is therefore enough for me to know that these dances are tolerated and that even were i so inclined i could not exclude them to return to the position stand a little to the right of your partner that in clasping your waist he may draw you upon his arm to his shoulder not his breast the last position is awkward by observing the first you have your head free turn it a little towards the left shoulder need i say never lay it upon your partner's shoulder throw the head and shoulders a little back not too much to be consistent with easy grace place one hand upon your partner's shoulder and the other in his disengaged hand so you are ready to start the waltz may be danced to very fast time or to slow music the last is the most graceful and there is not so much danger of giddiness 
grace can only be gained by a perfect timing of the steps to the music and also evenness of step it is when properly timed with perfect step and easy gliding motion the most graceful of dances the germans who dance for the sake of dancing will only allow a certain number of waltzers on the floor at one time and these waltz in streams all going down one side of the room and up the other thus rendering collisions impossible an english writer in a recent work published on etiquette speaks of waltzing thus it is perhaps useless to recommend flat-foot waltzing in this country where ladies allow themselves to be almost hugged by their partners and where men think it necessary to lift a lady almost off the ground but i am persuaded that if it were introduced the outcry against the impropriety of waltzing would soon cease nothing can be more delicate than the way in which a german holds his partner it is impossible to dance on the flat foot unless the lady and gentleman are quite free of one another his hand therefore goes no further round her waist than to the hooks and eyes of her dress hers no higher than his elbow thus danced the waltz is smooth graceful and delicate and we could never in germany complain of our daughters languishing on a young man's shoulder on the other hand nothing is more graceless and absurd than to see a man waltzing on the tips of his toes lifting his partner off the ground or twirling round and round with her like the figures on a street organ the test of waltzing in time is to be able to stamp the time with the left foot the waltz is of german origin but where it is still danced in germany in the original manner as for instance among the peasants of the tyrol it is a very different dance it is there very slow and graceful the feet are thrown out in a single long step which turvy drop i presume would call a jetté after a few turns the partners waltz alone in the same step the man keeping the time by striking together his iron-shod heels until with a shout and clapping of hands he again clasps his partner and continues in the same slow measure with her the position for the polka redoa and other round dances should be the same as that for the waltz and for the steps they can only be acquired from a dancing teacher and are impossible to describe properly one of the most delightful accomplishments which a lady can possess and one which is unfortunately but little cultivated is the art of reading aloud well reading with expression taste animation and correctness and this art once acquired let her also be able to recite well 
long lectures may be given upon elocution but the advice can be condensed into two directions first be sure you pronounce accent and enunciate every word correctly then throw your whole soul into the words study your author carefully that you may know precisely what he means by each expression and then try to bury your personal identity to become for the time the character you represent one of the most delightful ways to spend a social evening is to devote it to dramatic literature invite only guests who read well or who are really interested listeners and select a play or scenes from several plays and cast the parts among your guests all jealousy must be put aside and tonight's hamlet must condescend to direct richard to stand by my lord and let the coffin pass to-morrow after a few meetings the particular talent of each reader will be recognized and you can select your tragedy hero comedy hero queen chambermaid and other members of the force with a view to the display of each one's best powers vary the entertainment by reciting monologues and dialogues a whole play will often be found tiresome it is best to select several scenes keeping up the thread of the plot and introducing the best characters and leave out what is mere interlude and dispense with some of the subordinate characters leave one end of the room entirely vacant for the readers you will find it more interesting to have the readers stand and use some little motion the words will flow more easily the expressions come more forcibly if the appropriate gesture is made love scenes will of course require delicate handling and embracing can be easily omitted neither would i recommend the action of a duelling scene or a murder but merely to add gesture enough to give interest to both readers and audience you will find some little difficulty from bashfulness and the don't like to people at first but soon you will discover with delight how many of your friends possess the talent for reading well and never knew it themselves you will do well to take a few lessons in elocution but you need not fear to read if you have never made the accomplishment a study with a correct knowledge of your own language and a love for fine writing you will soon read well give to every part you undertake the full effect intended by the writer do not throw all your energy your whole soul into a leading part at one time and slight a subordinate character at another if you have but five words to read read them as they would be spoken were you the character you represent for the time to hear a splendidly written tragic burst of passion read in a weak whining voice 
is no worse than to have a few simple words from a servant's lips delivered with the gesture and emphasis suited to a medea or lady macbeth i shall be condemned by many serious and well-judging persons if i say one word in favour of private theatricals yet as it appears to me there are in these diversions some advantages which are not to be found to excuse the waltz or the poker or the ballet or the hunting field in private theatricals there is the possibility of some benefit the study of the finest dramatists especially of shakespeare is not likely to demoralize the mind or to cool the enthusiasm for what is good we can scarcely know too well these works which have tended more to form character than any collection of any kind whatsoever shakespeare sheridan bulwer but i cannot go through the list of fine dramatic writers whose works elevate the mind and taste the plays of sheridan knowles and bulwer are in most instances well adapted for private representations the most exquisite delineations of female character may be found in the dramatic library and high pure manly thoughts may be traced line after line to the same source private theatricals should however be regulated with much judgment i see no reason to restrict too severely talent of this kind where it exists any more than to crush a dawning taste for the other fine arts what we have to do is to raise and direct it never to let it occupy too much time nor to become the business of life never to let it infringe upon duties never to allow it to lead us into an unreasonable and therefore criminal expense our ancestors were content to strew their stage at the end of their halls with rushes and to hang up the name of the scene instead of a scene before each act the best preparations which generally render private theatricals both laborious and expensive add but little to the pleasure of the beholders whose attention is fixed upon the actors and who can always see far finer scenes at a minor theatre than at any private theatricals were we content with greater simplicity in our amusements how much vain ostentation heart-sickening expense self-recrimination and trouble might be avoided as a valid objection to private theatricals it has been urged that they are apt to encourage a taste for the green room of the public theatre in young men and boys in women the risk is less for few women are ever known to go on the stage except from necessity i own this objection to theatricals is the greatest that can be urged it can only be answered in mitigation that where there exists a taste of the kind it is better 
that it should be indulged at home instead of at the theatre with the modest inmates of a well-governed house instead of with professional actors like all other amusements the abuse is probable but the power of restraint rests within ourselves under the same head as private theatricals may come dramatized charades and proverbs so much in fashion at the present time these last have some great advantages over the standard plays they are better suited to a parlour they do not provoke comparison between the young actors and the favourite public idols they require but little scenery and arrangement they are short and they do not require so many subordinate characters impromptu charades and proverbs are delightful and are the occasion for much merriment the mistakes the absurd contrasts between character and costume the scenery a deep hanging wood the court of louis quatorze or the deck of a man of war being improvised at a moment's notice only add to the merry enjoyment one rule you must observe if you join in these amusements never to carry your gaiety into romping merry and laughing you may be yet never forget you are a lady you may personate a newly caught irish chambermaid use the broadest brogue wear the commonest dress throw yourself heartily and thoroughly into the part losing your personal identity almost entirely and yet you may retain that nameless charm which will place you in the mind of each of the audience as a lady of refinement you must also be perfectly good-natured and self-sacrificing ready to play the smallest parts with the same interest you would throw into the principal ones try to throw out all the good points in the parts taken by the other members of the company if you play an insignificant part play it well with all the grace you can make the most of it but do not try to raise it to the first place yield gracefully the prominent position to those who claim it in the plot of the play and never try by conspicuous dress or by play to go beyond the position set down for you another delightful accomplishment and one which will aid you if you are studying drawing and painting is that of arranging tableau vivant mrs severn gives the following hints upon this subject perhaps there is no intellectual amusement in fashionable life the nature of which is so little understood as the tableau vivant it being generally considered as only a vehicle for display whereas its real purpose is to arrange scientifically a combination of natural objects so as to make a good picture according to the rules of art a tableau vivant is literally what its name imports a living picture composed of living persons and when skilfully arranged 
and seen at a proper distance it produces all the effect of a real picture it is said that the first living picture was contrived by a prolificate young german nobleman who having during the absence of his father sold one of the celebrated pictures belonging to the old castle which was an heirloom to conceal the deficiency placed some of his companions behind the frame so as to imitate the missing picture and to deceive his father who passed through the room without being conscious of his loss a tableau vivant may be formed in two ways it may consist of a group of persons who take some well-known subject in history or fiction to illustrate and who form a group to tell the story according to their own taste or it may be a copy as exact as circumstances will permit of some celebrated picture the first plan it may be easily imagined is very rarely effective since as we find that even the best masters are often months or even years before they can arrange a group satisfactorily on canvas it is not probable that persons who are not artists should succeed in making good impromptu pictures indeed it has been observed that artists themselves when they have to arrange a tableau vivant always prefer copying a picture to composing one copying a real picture by placing living persons in the positions of the figures indicated in the picture appears at first sight an easy task enough and the effect ought to be easily attained as there can be no bad drawing and no confused light and shade to destroy the effect of the grouping there are however many difficulties to conquer which it requires some knowledge of art to be aware of painting being on a flat surface every means are taken to give roundness and relief to the figures which qualities of course are found naturally in a tableau vivant in a picture the light is made effective by a dark shadow placed near it diminished lights or demi-tints are introduced to prevent the principal light appearing a spot and these are linked together by artful shades which show the outline in some places and hide it in others the colors must also be carefully arranged so as to blend or harmonize with each other a want of attention to these minute points will be sufficient to destroy the effect of the finest picture even to those who are so unacquainted with art as to be incapable of explaining why they are dissatisfied except by an involuntary liking or disliking of what they see the best place for putting up a tableau vivant is in a doorway with an equal space on each side or at least some space on both sides is necessary and if there is a room or a passage between the door selected for the picture and the room the company is to see it from so much the better as there should be a distance of at least four yards between the first row of the spectators and the picture it must be remembered that 
while the tableau is being shown nearly all the lights must be put out in the room where the company is assembled and perhaps only one single candle properly placed in the intervening space between the company and the tableau must be left slightly to illuminate the frame in the above-mentioned doorway a frame somewhat smaller than the original picture must be suspended three four or even five feet from the floor as may suit the height of the door or if the door is not very high the frame may be put one or two feet behind to gain space but care must be taken to fill up the opening that would in that case show between the doorway and the frame also a piece of dark cloth ought to be put from the bottom of the frame to the ground to give the appearance of the picture hanging on the wall the most important thing is that the chairs or tables ought to be placed behind the frame so that the persons who are to represent the tableau may sit or stand as nearly in the position with regard to the frame as the figures appear to do in the real picture they are trying to imitate and at about two feet from the frame so that the light which is attached to the back of the frame may fall properly on the figures in order to accomplish this great study and contrivance are required so that the shades may fall in precisely the same places as in the original picture and sometimes the light is put on one side sometimes on the other and often on the top and sometimes shades of tin or paper are put between the lights and the tableau to assist in throwing a shadow over any particular part the background is one of the most important parts and should be made to resemble that of the picture as nearly as possible if it is dark coarse cloth absorbs the light best but whether it is to be black blue or brown must depend on the tint of the picture should the background be a light one colored calico turned on the wrong side is generally used if trees or flowers form the background of course real branches or plants must be introduced to imitate those in the picture even rocks have been imitated and spun glass has often successfully represented water a thin black gauze black muslin or tarlatan veil should be fastened to the top of the frame on the outside of it through which the tableau is to be seen care ought to be taken to conceal the peculiarities of the different materials used in the draperies and it is even sometimes necessary to cover the stuffs used for the purpose with a gauze of a different color so as to imitate the broken and transparent colors found in most good pictures this carefully attended to will give a quietness and simplicity to the whole which will greatly add to the illusion end of chapter twenty one part two